And welcome to, once again, Employment Law Show. You bet. John Scholes here. And my good pal Stan Fanzelberg is doing all the heavy lifting tonight, courtesy of Sam Fury, Jamark, and LLP. If you want to reach out to us, you can. We're uh, we're live, and we're uh, we're doing it right now. So f- pick up that phone, call us, get on air, ask your questions, 416-870-6400. Beyond that, you can always email, which we're going to do. We're going to try to get through a lot of email uh, over the next half hour for sure because it's been piling up. But bring them on anytime. Help at employmentlawyer.ca, and I'll give you other contact information about the half hour for you to get a hold of Stan and uh, his people on his side to have that conversation off air about your particular matter. But we got lots to get through, so let's get it happening before we get to the email. Stan, I know you got something, a case of the day you're working on, pal. What do you got? I absolutely do, John. Uh, you know, one thing that I'm constantly hearing when I speak to new clients, especially people who have been you know terminated for cause specifically from large institutions is they ask me, Stan, this is a huge institution. You know, they've got so many lawyers. Why should I believe you when you're telling me that this giant institution full of lawyers is wrong and they don't have cause to actually terminate me? And, you know, one case that I'm currently dealing with, I think kind of illustrates the point that no matter how big the institution, they often get things wrong and really sometimes, and sometimes really get it wrong. And, and in my particular uh, matter, it's, it's quite an interesting set of facts, but essentially uh, one of my clients happened to work for one of these large institutions for about 12 years. Impeccable employee, absolutely no issues on his record. Uh, in 2016, he uh, runs into an old friend, old colleague from a previous employer. Uh, and they rekindle their relationship. He comes to learn at, at the time, actually, when he runs into him, he has his 15-year-old son with him. And they're having discussions, and his son, you know, as part of these discussions come up, his son's interest in computers. So the colleague actually has both a cleaning company and a uh, secondary IT company and tells the son, hey, if you're interested, next year, come back for a co-op job with us. Cool. Fast forward a few mo- few months, my client realizes that, hey, we could use this guy's two companies at our large institution as vendors because we actually need the services they provide. So like any reasonable person, he goes to his manager who's in charge of these projects and he says to his manager, hey, I've got this guy. I used to know him. I used to work with him. He discloses his relationship with him, but tells him, here's why I think you should go with these vendors. And, you know, the manager hears everything out, brings in the vendors. They do a presentation. He ultimately decides, yeah, I'm going to get these vendors signed up with our institutions, the third party's service. Going forward into that 2017 summer, the son come, now comes back and says, or discussions continue, and the son says, you know, comes up and says, what about this co-op job? And they just, uh, sorry, they ultimately, he goes and gets a co-op job with this IT company. Uh, fast forward five years into the future, into 2022. This giant institution comes to learn of all of this, you know, of, of what happened in a very, re- very roundabout way, almost, you know, a co- giant coincidence, honestly. Uh, and unfortunately, my client, even though he disclosed both his relationship with the owner of the companies and the fact he actually disclosed that his son was getting a job there as well, he didn't fill out the right paperwork, John. And that was the problem, that because he didn't fill out a conflict of interest form, they now do this giant investigation, and in the and the way they did this investigation was frankly, you know, almost negligent in my view. They bring this guy in, uh, start bring him in, tell him nothing about what they're going to ask him. Over a three-hour period, proceed to ask him, "Did your son ever, you know, do this or do that?" He has no idea. They then impeach him with emails that from five years ago 
Oh. So essentially, he says, I've disclosed all this to my manager. They say we don't have any record of it. Guess what? You know who might know? The manager. They don't even bother talking to the manager or asking him if he was ever disclosed. Uh, and at the end of all of this, a month later, and you know, we're talking six years after the fact for a co-op job for his son, he is fired for cause wow. from this after 12 years. 12 years. And so in part of my, when I get in there and I do the investigation, and what do I do? I talk to the manager. And I talk to the colleague and I talk to the son's boss at the IT company. And I get affidavits from all these people specifically saying there is no scheme here. There was absolutely nothing. In fact, the manager himself told me I didn't think he needed to fill out a conflict of interest form because I didn't see it as a conflict. I was the right. one making the decision. My, my client had absolutely no decision making power in that process. So, again, you know, just to reiterate the point. Just because an institution is large, just because they have a lot of resources, a lot of lawyers, everybody gets it wrong, sometimes incredibly wrong. That's a crazy thing. So what ended up happening with this, uh, this kid? Did he get his job? Did, or this, the other guy, did he get uh, proper severance? What happened? Well, we're, we're in the process, and that's why I'm getting yeah. these affidavits. And we're, you know, we're, we're going through uh, the litigation. It's been not very long at this point, but... Yeah, I'm, not, I'm. as you can imagine, I'm very optimistic about uh, his prospects. Man, they look pretty silly on the, uh, the back end of that one for sure. We're going to get into our email here after we take a short break. Stan's going to crack it open, get some answers for you. But you also have the opportunity now to call into the station and talk to us live. That's what we'd love, 416-870-6400. Dial that number, get on air, ask your questions, and we'll continue with more of the Employment Law Show. Hang on. And welcome back to it indeed. Stan Fanzelberg from San Fiero to Markin LLP is answering all the questions tonight. You want to reach out to us now here on air? Bring it on. We've got lots of open lines. We've got plenty of time. 416-870-6400, and we'll have that chat. Bouncing over to email, pal. First one is uh, Trisha says, guys, company just put me on a PIP performance improvement plan, and I completely disagree with this. What can I do to fight this as the issues they have identified are completely made up? Stan, what do you think, pal? Mm -hmm. Well, Trisha, you know, the first thing you kind of have to understand about PIPs is that they're ultimately subjective. I mean, this is the company's perspective, and sometimes you know, you're not going to be able to change their perspective, even if they are wrong. Uh, what, I, what I generally tell clients to do in this situation is document everything. If you have a disagreement with the PIP or anything written in the PIP, and one thing you'll notice, Trish, is that they'll never actually tell you what's wrong in writing. They'll usually bring you into a weekly coaching session, you know, make some vague generalized statements, never again in writing, something that you can actually respond to in writing and produce evidence of. So if they do that, if they bring you into a meeting and try to have only oral conversations, one of the best things you can do is take that back, record it either as contemporaneous notes on some sort of software, or you can write back to your manager and say, this is what we discussed. This is why I disagree with it. If you, if you, you, know, if you take an issue with anything, please let me know. and Let's continue our discussion from here. Again, you get you get everything documented. You put your your uh, position on the re record, and you don't let the the employer kind of generalize and work in this ambiguity and not put anything on paper. That's the best way because ultimately you can't, as I'm sure we said many times on this program, you can't stop an employer from taking the position right. that they're going to yep. terminate you. You can't even take stop them from taking the position that they're going to terminate you for cause. That doesn't mean that they're right. Doesn't mean you're not owed money. Uh, and documenting things 
as part of that process is the evidence that we as lawyers need when we go through litigation to prove the things you're, you're telling us we need to prove. Trish, really uh, appreciate that email. I'll send you over the phone number here in a second. We're going to bounce over to some phone calls, 416-870-6400. Hey, John, how are you, pal? What's going on? Doing well, you? Good, sir. What's on your mind? Yeah, um, you're, if you're on long-term disability and you're, the company you're with right now has been taken over or sold, who retains your employment? Uh, well, the, technically speaking, it's the company that tells you, but uh, it would not be, honestly, the first situation I've had where they, they just kind of forgot about you in the transaction. Uh, and the answer might be that neither of them, frankly, think that they've retained your employment. Also, depending on the type of sale we're talking about, by operation of law, if they're just buying the assets of your, of your company, then you are technically terminated unless the com- new company offers you new employment. Mm. Okay. So do so you know what kind of sale we're talking about specifically? I, I think they lost the contract and a new company's taken over. Oh, well, that's a different type of situation because that's not necessarily a sale. You're, what you're talking about is, you know, again, a loss of contract, a new vendor. So is this a building that you operate and the new vendors come in? Because that's often the context. Yes, the new vendors coming in, right. Yeah, and so and you're working for a, uh, you work for a building. Y- yes, for... Yeah, so there are specific provisions in the ESA that deal with building service providers and what happens when a new vendor comes in. Uh, technically speaking, the new vendor generally is the one that owes you money, although they don't have to continue your employment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it can be tricky, and obviously, as I say, in a transaction like that, sometimes they just forget about people who are on disability and aren't actively there. So you may want to reach out and kind of get the answer that way as well. Oh, okay. From whom? Uh, whoever was your HR contact would probably be the base, best place to start. Okay, cool. And should I get that in writing? Uh, general, I mean, it, if it shouldn't matter at this point. You're not in an adversarial position, unlike what I was saying about the PIP, where you know you're obviously there's already a rift there, and you're you're wondering whether your company is acting in good faith or not. Here, like I just, uh, it could just very well be a mix-up. That you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily presume that things are better in writing, but sometimes it's easier to have conversations on the phone as well. Okay. All right. Great. I'll, I'll get your number. If anything changes, I'll get back to you guys. Okay. Beautiful. Thanks, Johnny. Appreciate you uh, reaching out, pal. And again, for anyone else who wants to reach out to Stan uh, with that questions and answers on your own time, one 855 821 But right here, as uh, John just did moments ago, 416-870-6400. Lots of lines, lots of times. So feel free to make that phone call. And just like that, you get some uh, some answers. Kelsey's up next, guys. Says, uh, I've worked through two separate employment agencies for the same company for over 20 years. They laid me off during the pandemic. And then in January, the employment agency terminated me. Is there anything I can do? Is there anything I get? What do you think, Stan? Yeah. Well, well, firstly, I mean, the employment agency that terminates you unquestionably is your employer. They owe you money. And I presume that they know that and they would pay that. It really comes down to, John, whether you can capture the years of service with the previous employment agency, as well as, you know, whether potentially the place that you've worked physically for 20 years, whether that might be your employer. 
you know, I would venture to say, not without knowing all the facts, but for, you know, if you work in one single location or one single company, I mean, they're more than likely telling you where to be, when to be there, uh, how much you're going to make, what you have to do. That's that's an employment relationship. I don't, you know, from my perspective, I don't care what kind of fancy corporate terms you want to put on it or if it, fancy kind of contracts you want to put on it because those are just trying to hide what is ultimately the the facts and the facts are that if that's an employment relationship and it doesn't matter if they refuse to call you you their employee and just hire and try to third party basically your employment to somebody else either way i think uh, depending on how this rolls out uh, kelsey we don't know what kelsey's age but 20 years that's uh, mm-hmm. that's that's pretty good severance right north of what 18 months maybe possibly kind of yeah absolutely i mean we don't know yeah. her age we don't know what she did there um, you know, tending, you can kind of deduce that from an employment agency that tends to be people more in the labor sphere or the clerical right. sphere. So not necessarily management. So, and, you know, depending on her age, it could be anywhere from if she's, you know, fairly young, maybe 16 months, uh, to if she's older, uh, something about a month per year, maybe even a little bit more than that. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Again, 416-870-6400. Got lots of time still to call us here at the station. Get on air. Rajesh is next. Says, guys, my employer is selling the business and tells me the buyer is going to hire me. However, it's been almost two months, and I still haven't heard nothing from the buyer. Can I still go after my former employer? Yeah, absolutely, Rajesh. Uh, I would encourage you to do so because it sounds like they lied to you. Uh, if, if you were terminated by the seller and the buyer hasn't hired you, then it's not really in question that the seller owes you severance. Uh, They're likely obviously just trying to wiggle out of that. But, you know, two months is no problem at all. You have two years to pursue your rights against them. So give us a call at the office and we can do that with you. No problem. It's interesting, though, in Rajesh's case, Stan, that he, you know, you know, you know, figuratively, he hasn't stepped foot in the new place of the new buyer, so it would be the seller who owes him the severance. But if he turned up one day and worked for the new buyer, then they let him go. That switches hands now, doesn't it? His previous employment and the years is now the responsibility of the new owner, yeah? In general, I would say generally, yes. But there are, you know, being, if I'm getting very technically legal, uh, mm. you know, with an asset purchase, like I've said a number of times, you have a termination from the seller. It, that's by operation of law has to happen. So right. your entitlements are technically running, even if when you take new, new employment with the buyer, what's technically happening is you're being you've, you're terminated you're by the seller, but in so, certain instances you're being you're mitigating your damages with the buyer. And if after one day you were to lose your job, well, you might have damages flowing from both companies potentially because I'm sure the buyer is going to take the position. Listen, you're here a day. We didn't we didn't recognize your previous service and you know depending on how the facts unfold that might actually be true so if that were the case you can go back to the seller and say well you know they're, they're saying they're not recognizing my previous service so you therefore terminated me and owe me severance based on my previous service Another reason to reach out to Stan if that ever comes up. It can be back and forth, right? one 821 5900 Claire is coming up next. Says, love the show, guys. My department is being outsourced to another company, and this new company wants me to stay on as a contractor. Is that legal? Uh, very unlikely, Claire. You know, if you're doing your job as an employee one day and you're doing the exact same job, 
essentially presumably servicing the same company just as a contractor, quote unquote. Yeah. That doesn't really change the nature of what you're doing there, does it? So really, that is more than likely either a attack scheme to try to avoid certain tax implications and also an employment scheme to avoid certain employee uh, obligations. By the by, the new company, right? Trying to you know get them off by EI. Both, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, maybe. So it makes sense for sure. Uh, Claire, again, mm-hmm. if you need more clarification, see what I did there. Four one six, or pardon me, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to reach out to uh, Stan. Roll on down to we got Jason up next. Says guys, is the general rule of thumb two weeks of severance for every year I work there? Jason hasn't been listening. No. <laughs> Jason's you gotta listen to the show, man. Jason's uh, new. Absolutely. <laughs> well, that's what we're here. We we want the that's new right. people, and we want to impart as much knowledge as we can. That's right, and Jason. I mean, that is absolutely not the rule of thumb. Um, in many cases, that will just be somebody's minimum entitlements. Uh, and uh, you know, it's as we've said, there's no magic formula. There are factors to consider, context uh, to consider, but for a quick and easy back of the nap napkin calculation i mean i would put it closer to a month per year and then work my way from there jason good stuff keep listening pal you're going to learn more as the weeks months and years carry on for sure albert says guys can an employer terminate you while you are on a disability leave mm-hmm. see this this one gets tricky john because wow. in, oftentimes when people get terminated while they're on disability leave they think it's discriminatory and of course it can be if the decision is tainted by discrimination because it's about, well, to some extent, intent. It can be done procedurally. But in most instances, you're talking about intentional discrimination. And sometimes, you know, if a company eliminates a department, outsources a, uh, a office, closes its location somewhere, those cannot, by definition, be discriminatory because they're not doing it you know, solely to you and, and certainly aren't taking into effect or consideration your disability when making that decision. Because in all those instances, those are general company decisions being made that just happen to affect you while you're on disability. Different scenario for uh, parental leave? Uh, parental I wouldn't necessarily say, I mean, in both instances, there is an obligation on the company to basically either give you your job back or give you a comparable job, but if it exists, right? So if if there isn't a job to come back to, and if it's, again, we're talking about legitimate circumstances, not illegitimate ones, but if Mm -hmm. there isn't a job to come back to, then there isn't a job to come back to, and that's the reality, and the court's not going to force a company to take somebody when they can't afford to, and they have good business reasons that have nothing to do with, you know, pregnancy leave, disability, frankly, any of the leaves, (laughs) reservist leave, etc. Any of the leaves, if you have a reason to terminate someone's employment, and you can legitimately show has nothing to do with their decision to take a leave. It's just coincidence. Then, you know, in that instance, it's just coincidence. Still got a couple minutes. You want to pick up a phone and call us, I would do it now. So 416-870-6400. If not, we'll get through a couple more emails here. Robert's up next says, uh, Stan, I was terminated after 12 years of service. It was a technical role, and I'm in my 40s. I was offered 25 weeks severance. Is that fair? Is that close? Mm-hmm. Robert sounds a little bit like Jason here because no. 25 weeks, 12 years, those are roughly two weeks per year. Uh, and as I said earlier, and I'll tell Robert as well, 
that's not particularly close. In fact, depending uh, on how big your company is, if it's got a payroll of over 2.5 million, the least amount of money they owe you is 20 weeks. So don't look at it as they're offering you 25 weeks. Look at it as they're offering you five weeks. Uh, and again, just quick rule of thumb or back of the napkin rule of thumb, a month per year is probably more appropriate here. 10 to 12 months, 10 to 14 months, 10 to 16 months, depending on the position that uh, Robert has. Again, Robert, if you want to take some time on your own, uh, you, you have the credentials. You know what your uh, your criteria are because you just gave it to us. You can go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca and click on the severance calculator. Put in exactly what you just uh, read out in that email, and it'll give you a pretty good idea at the bottom of that thing, like Stan says, to that, uh, to that amount. But again, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. And down we go to Bob. Bob says, my employer gave me a month of working notice. I have an interview in Halliburton, and she denied my request for time off for an interview. Is she allowed to? Is that allowed? Not really. Uh, no. Really, when you can think about what working notice means, it's to give you an opportunity while you're working and still have income uh, to go and find your next job. If you are denied that opportunity because you're not actually able to go and interview for that job, well, it defeats the entire purpose of working notice. And I would argue in that situation that working notice is completely ineffective, ineffectual. And also I would argue that that sounds like a tainted workplace or a toxic workplace that a person really shouldn't have to stick through during this working notice period. Yeah, we get that all the time, too. Your point is like, you know, I want to get out of here and look for other opportunities. That's why you give me some working notice. But, no, I can't leave the front door. It, it makes no sense. So, again, they're getting that uh, getting that wrong for sure. We're going to leave it there for the evening. Thank you so much for all your emails. Appreciate it, guys. Keep them rolling in because they do get answered whether you're uh, on the uh, on the radio show or not. And now you can always reach out to Stan and his team to have a uh, conversation in your own time. Again, help at employmentlawyer.ca, 1-855-821-5900. And I'll mention it once again, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. You can learn a ton there and have free and anonymous access to the severance calculator as well. Catch you next time in the Employment Law Show. Enjoy your night.